Hi there, I'm Evan Troxell. Welcome to my podcast about how technology is changing the architectural profession. Welcome back to the show. My name is Evan Troxell. On this episode, I had the pleasure of having a conversation with Scott Davidson. Scott is in charge of business development at McNeil and Associates, and they make a small piece of software that you might have heard of called Rhinoceros, also known as Rhino. And in typical McNeil fashion, they just quietly released version 7 in an email, basically a one-liner letting everybody know that it's out. And this is a very big deal. It's a very big deal to McNeil. It's also a very big deal to the AEC profession in that Rhino plays such a pivotal role in geometry creation and translation between products that we use on a day-to-day basis. In this conversation, we get into why this is a big deal. We also talk about how this all came to be. So we do a little bit of a trip down memory lane. And it's funny because it's actually very Bob Ross, if you know who that is, in that it's a series of happy little accidents. So it was a true pleasure to speak to Scott, who has been at McNeil & Associates for 28 years now, which is just incredible. I love that there's so much embedded knowledge in that team and that they stick around and continue to deliver what people are asking for and really engage with the community of professionals. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Scott. Scott Davidson, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Yeah, thanks. Thank you for having me. And for those of you out there who don't know who Scott is, um, which is is doubtful, I think the audience of this this podcast probably does know about one of the most important pieces of software in the AEC industry. And you know, this this show is all about how technology is changing the profession of architecture. We do talk a lot about the other E's and C's out there on this show as well. But that's where you're stationed right now. And, and maybe you could give a little bit of a backstory on on McNeil, on Rhino, and where you've come from. Yeah, well, thanks. Rhino is, is you know, I, I guess you could call it a happy accident, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, you know, oddly enough, uh, you know, we were AutoCAD dealers. I don't know. I've worked for McNeil for 28 years. And so it's it's been a while. Yeah. But um we we were AutoCAD dealers and, and developers and, and we started to work on on a, a NURBS modeler, a NURBS engine actually in AutoCAD. That's where Rhino started. And and you know, it was hard in those days, much harder than it is today, but hard in those days to get three D in right in AutoCAD. Oh yeah. Now there wasn't much of any yeah, I mean you had kind of three D faces. The three D face you know. command. I mean That's right. <laughs> Well, and, and you, you know, how do you get NURBS in there and yeah. all the tools and oh things gosh. like that? So, so as we were hooking that up, we developed a little test harness, just a little Windows app, had four viewports, something we could pick in and spin around. And, and what we were doing was using that as a, just a, a, as a quicker way to actually prototype commands. And so, you know, how do these commands work? And, 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 and one of the things that's really key to, to how we work is, you know, customers need to be involved. They need to test stuff before it's done. They need to, you know, really help us along with what's important. It's just, it's been kind of part of our, what we do mm-hmm. um, forever. So we had this little test harness, this little Windows app. And then when we got it right, then what we would do is um, 
we would put it in AutoCAD. Mm-hmm. And we were kind of going along, and all of a sudden, we realized that while everybody was using the test app, the little harness, mm-hmm. they didn't really care if it got into AutoCAD. Hmm. Like, like everybody started concentrating on the test harness because they were doing some work, you know, and they were yeah. actually working in those. And we thought, wow. I wonder, I wonder if we have something here, you know, like, like what would happen if we actually made the test harness an application? Wow. And Rhino was born. What a cool story. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. It was just crazy. <laughs> so how, where did that name come from? Uh, one of the original developers at, you know, two in the morning, like we always do, um, or like the, a lot of developers do, you know, they're kind of looking around for a code name. Yeah. And and there was a, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen it. There's a there's a etching of a rhino from uh, somebody had gone to India and then on the ship had described what a rhino looked like. And they had this, you know, that older etching where mm-hmm. the rhino looks like a tank. Mm-hmm. Um, it had that hanging on his wall. And he's like, oh, I'll call it rhino for a while. Rhinoceros, right? For we'll just, just call it rhinoceros. Just for a while, yeah. Just for a while. <laughs> so, so we're getting, you know, we'd go through the whole discovery process of of that we should have an application, maybe. And so, so now we're going to have everybody on the forum, and and us choose a name. Names are hard, you know. Mm-hmm. They have to be translatable. They have to be, you know, international. They have yeah. to not be used. <laughs> and of course, we're doing the solid this and the accu that and the you know, the, all those standard names that, that, you know, everybody knows. CAD this, whatever. And uh, anyway, in the end, everybody's like, don't change it. Just <laughs> leave it. Yeah. Just leave it. And, you know, we're, we're thinking we're going to get in trouble for not being professional and all that kind of stuff. But we, we did it. And it's, and it's worked. And rhinoceros is a rhinoceros in almost every language. Yeah. And, yeah, it's it's actually worked out, and then you know, then we get caught up in the whole zoo na- zoo naming thing, you know, yep. and that's been out of control. Yes, fun, but out of control. It's always a topic of of discussion when whenever a new animal or you know mm-hmm. species comes out of the the woodwork into the the rhino zoo kind of landscape. That's right, right. You know, the tree sloth, the the bongo. You know, what's a bongo? We're all looking on Google to figure it out. Anyway. It's kind of a point of pride, I think, for developers to find a new animal as well that, that also right. works with what they're doing. <laughs> I never <laughs> thought about that. That's right. <laughs> Got to look at. That's right. You can develop on Rhino and learn at the same time. So oh. the name was an accident. The product was an accident. I mean, oh. you guys are a, quite a crew there. <laughs> yeah, where the whole thing is an accident. I'm telling you. It's like I, it's like an episode of Gilligan's part. Island or something. Well. <laughs> I, I get, yeah, we can, we'll get into it a little bit later, I'm sure. But it, it's, it's, you know, one of the things I cannot, um, uh, I, well, we don't underestimate, but, but you have to be really clear on this, that, that the people that participate in this customers that test this, that, that are on the forums that are trying the new stuff, you know, it's just as much their product as ours. You know, we, 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 if we didn't have people kind of, banging on us and, and looking at the new stuff and giving us feedback, we really wouldn't know where to go. And, and, and so it, it's, you know, it's just as much influenced by everybody that uses it as it is by us. And, and that's a, you know, that's intentional to do that, but also it's, you know, it's an adventure. 
Yeah. So it's a journey. I mean, I can tell you, I never thought we'd be here where we are now. Right. Of course. Yeah. I, I was just having a conversation with another person for the podcast and we we're talking about how easy it is. You know, it's a famous Steve Jobs quote that you can connect the dots going backwards, but you can't connect them going forwards. No. Right. Yeah. No, we're terrible at predicting the future. Right. There's no question about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's go back in history for another moment here. So I have, and I mentioned this to you in email, but uh, I have a Seagraph story from probably the late 90s. I can't remember exactly when I was there. It but... was the late 90s, probably 96, 97. Yes, exactly. Yes. Uh, uh-huh. And uh, so so you and I can arm wrestle. I was a Form Z user uh, from 94-ish, right, uh, yeah. when I was in college. And it was like version 2 at the time. I got my first PowerPC Macintosh. And I was running it on there. And uh, I was just so excited about technology. I had always had been as a kid. My my dad had some early K-Pro, you know, IBM clone. And I we had an Apple IIe and stuff like that. And so I, I had learned, yeah, I had a Commodore, like early days, like programming stuff to, you know, and basically programming at that stage for me was just copying something out of a book and trying to make it into like a, a direct copy to play a game or something like that. And uh, so then going into college, got my first like proper Macintosh, you know, with the GUI and we had a PC lab and I was learning uh, 3D Studio and audio AutoCAD. (laughs) I wish it was AudioCAD. That'd be better. Um, (laughs) But but I went to SIGGRAPH and, you know, I started using like electric image for my 3D renderings and stuff because I was a Mac user. And so 3D Studio was only running in DOS at the time. It wasn't a real thing for me. And I know you guys were on the Windows side and I walked by your booth. Okay. And I think it was yeah. probably you and Bob or, or something like that. And Brian Gillespie probably and... Uh... I don't know, maybe Dale. I mean, there's a, you know, all these people still work there. Yeah. Yeah. I I know. And I remember that they had like a, I believe it was actually a laptop um, running Mm -hmm. Rhino Mm -hmm. with a car fender demo. It was like showing how the car fender and the continuity of the curves lined up with the door panel. And you guys had the zebra pattern on there to show the surface continuity. And I was like, I'm an architect. Like, this is cool software. And you guys, I mean, it was, it was one of those things where it was seriously like how, like everybody struggles with their booth. How do we get people to stop here? Right. 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 <laughs> and it yeah. was like, I was headed to the electric image booth or something or, you know, and I think it was funny. Cause like at that time it was like electric image was running on sun microsystems computer. Like, That's like right. anybody was ever going to use it that way. But, That's right. but it was, it was, it was just uh, a, a fun moment in time where it's like it was the wild west of of 3d modeling of mm-hmm. cad applications and for me like learning form z early on so so i had probably been using form z at that point for three or four years and it was like a solids modeler and that's all i cared about at that point right and so when rhino comes when i walk by the booth and it surfaces i'm like i have a, i have no use for this okay <laughs> so because we weren't doing like there was there was architecture back then for us was very rectilinear. Like that's, that's for the most part, it was Morphosis, you know, like Morphosis was a huge form Z shop at the time. Right. Right. Um, And that's what we were all looking at. And so now it is completely the opposite, right? Like now it is, it's just Rhino 
in AEC is absolutely everywhere, and Form Z is nowhere, even though it is still a thing. It totally is. Sure, and like I, sure. I met Chris, and I know David, who runs it now, and it's just interesting to kind of see how how times change, and and you can never be assured of anything. But what what a what a crazy history you guys have had to where you are now with like your back background. You're you're showing up. You're talking about Rhino inside, right? Like. Who saw that? It was uh, yet again. That was surprised us. But just to to kind of back that up, because yes. you know it's the funny part about that car fender demo, which is one of the very first ones we did. It is actually only the car fender. Right, the rest of the car doesn't exist. Yes, yes, <laughs> but, uh, right. I want to be clear about that one. Nope, but there was the, no car. <laughs> yeah. No, no. But but you know we we were uh, you know we're in Seattle, so the marine industry was a big one. You know, right. so the marine industry was really pushing us to do a lot of the crazy shapes that they couldn't do anywhere else. And, and so that was big and industrial designers, of course, and, and people that were doing those kinds of pieces. And, and that was pretty clear. That was going to be something that we did early on. And, and we did. And, and then, <laughs> I don't know, it was, I don't know. It was the first day, maybe it was the second day we're selling right now. We get a phone call from Frank Gary's office. Did you? <laughs> and on Frank Gary's they personal, smelled it in the air or something. Uh, something, right? You know, so there was no Frank social Gary's, media. No, Frank Gary's personal credit card. He bought Rhino. Yeah. And Bob and I looked at each other and we said, Well, that was that market saturated. Yeah. Because right? nobody was doing this crazy stuff. Right. You know, and we're done with that one. Right. And 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 yes. And and so then we 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 were off into all these other markets and and it, it is interesting that we've been pulled back into architecture yeah as a general purpose modeler right jewelry design marine Mm -hmm. design automotive Mm -hmm. design like all of those things similar story with form z like they had a small contingent of architectural users and probably because they had a stair tool like more than anything right it was like and 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 walls with thickness that you could you could change that was like the main the main pull for us and yeah. being able to punch windows and things pretty easy. Their Booleans were great. And so yeah. building a general purpose modeler and then somehow, like you got, like you just said, like now you've been pulled back into this heavily architecturally oriented piece of software. Mm-hmm. That, that's, I would imagine you have a lot of users there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, architecture is by far our biggest is market it? now yeah. by a long shot. Yeah. Um, and it's so big, so big. You know, yeah. we're just we're just a little scratch in the surface on on number of architects actually using it relative to the, the number profession. of architects yeah. out there. But uh, you know, the the I think you know the the evolution of digital fabrication of of the ability to to really, if you can get an accurate shape, to be able to drive fabrication was huge in yep. that. Mm-hmm. You know that that's does everything do with us other than we enable it, and then the ability. This is an interesting one. In LOD 200, you know, in, in early design stages, the ability to have flexibility of having a surface, a shape, mean anything you want mm-hmm. is really important. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, a, a designer wants a tool, I think a designer wants a tool that, you know, they can trust every day that they can solve the problem. Mm-hmm the design problem, whatever it is. And they're, and they're not so worried about efficiency and they're not so worried about, you know, let's consider it productivity because design isn't, yeah, you know, so, and so I, I think, I think this idea that, that the tool doesn't care mm-hmm. what it is, 
right? I think that is a really, I think that's key in the, in the overall architectural process and especially in the design process. And, and so to me, it's actually the fact we don't have all this stuff that makes it possible or it makes it a good tool for that, or at least customers think it is, um, you know, and then grasshopper comes along and that just, I just shot things through the roof. I mean, it was nuts. I, I absolutely believe with your, believe in your assessment there of, of, the tool not caring because that is what is actually important during the very fluid and nonlinear design process. And that's where so many people who try to shoehorn quote unquote capital D design into a product usually get it wrong is that, you know, especially I think more and more nowadays, we just hear people who are really on the side of efficiency and just saying, you should do all of that in Revit. Um, And Revit forces you to make a certain number of decisions very early on about what absolutely. things are and yep. how they should perform and how they should yep. act. And and that yep. is absolutely not what I want in a design tool. I want something where I can have multiple iterations on the same canvas and I can be playing with things relatively fluidly. And like you said, it just represents something. It doesn't have a lot more meaning than that necessarily. And and that's really important to be able to do that. And so that I agree that is totally why tools like this make so much sense at the early stages of design is because it's more like sculpting. It's more like play. It's more like sketching. It's more like trace paper than anything else, but that it also affords you the ability to take it as far as you want to is a testament to kind of how flexible the platform actually is, right? Is that can use it for anything and there really aren't any boundaries. It really is up to your imagination and maybe some at least medium skill of how to use the tools that are in there and understanding of what, what's possible. Yeah. And, and, and I think it's important, even though it's early in the design process, that the surfaces have to be accurate mm-hmm. and because that those, those design surfaces you make many times are informing your fabrication directly. Right. And so, so you find people that are sending the Rhino model out to fabrication to fabricators so they can, um, you know, section and split and you know, really break up the surface in the way that they need to. Yeah. And, and, you know, sometimes you have fabricators that have different processes. And so they actually need a different model. You know, they, ultimately, you know, their LOD 350s and 400 models are different because mm-hmm. their fabrication processes mm-hmm. are different. And so, so we find it's that combination of being able to, you know, work at any scale and make anything, anything you, you want to imagine it is through your design process but then at the same time have something accurate enough to use in fabrication. And that's really, really, at least, you know, that's what we've been seeing. Yeah. So, yeah, that's incredible. So, okay. So now, I mean, we're on the, dare I say the precipice of you releasing a new version of Rhino, which, which is also like, like you guys have had kind of this, like, it seems like the releases are super compressed compared to what they were from like version four to five, which seemed to be in beta forever, <laughs> right? Which was, which was awesome years, for users. Years, years, sort of, <laughs> sort of. Yeah, sort the of. The problem is, the problem is they, you know, the customer, the people that wanted to, you know, have a stable build, it, it didn't exist. Yeah, that's You true. know, and so yeah. that was really a drawback, but... Um, that has a lot more to do with us just learning how to do this better. Yeah. I was, you know, that, I was going to ask that, like what, what, what's changed there? Because you guys obviously made a decision at some point to, to do things differently. 
Um, yeah, there, what's changed. So software is kind of the result of a lot of different things. And, and ultimately it's a, it's a result of, of, of very, the team, right. Very personal standard everyday things that everybody deals with everyday work. And, and I think, I think we just have learned as a, as a large organization that's been, you know, we've had the same people for a long time. So we've been able to kind of try to get better, but I think we're, we're learning as a group how to um, add features, uh, fix things and not kind of get distracted, Mm. you know, or, or, you know, not add so much that, you know, people have to wait five years for a new, new version. Mm -hmm. And as we've worked with larger and larger organizations, it's become very important that we at least have, you know, we at least have some consistency to, to being able to bring things out in a stable version. I mean, you know, like, yeah, yeah. So, you know, Rhino seven is going to be released on Wednesday. And so we, you know, everybody can get it, but we're going to come out with Rhino eight work in progress, Mm -hmm. maybe next month. Yeah. Right. You know, it's, yeah. So, right. And so it's, 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 you know, we're always having that web version out there. Yeah. Um, You have to own the previous version to download it, but it's, and, and by the way, that's, I mean, that's so key to how we develop. I mean, it's so key that people are always using what we're currently working on. And you could only do that in today's times where downloading a 300 megabyte update right. for the whip yeah. can i can do it on a bi-weekly basis like before yeah. when software was shipping on cd-roms or whatever this was this just could impossible i believe i don't i'm not exactly sure i believe we did have work in progress as early on for on the beta on cds wow <laughs> <laughs> so well so you mentioned a minute ago grasshopper and and obviously that's a big deal um but i i wanted to kind of you know, the overall concept of you guys being so kind of open platform with Rhino and like you said, kind of enabling people to do like actually creating a platform, not just a piece of software, right? You've created Mm -hmm. something where people can extend it and augment it to do whatever they need to do. Yep. Was that a big part of like, I don't know the right way to say this, but like, is that really distracting when you guys are developing software because there's so much outside input and ideas and asks by other people to open up certain pieces to do certain things. Is that, is that a distraction or is that, I mean, obviously it's a core piece of who Rhino the company is and what the software can do, but right. It's, it's no, I mean, the, the answer is, yeah, it takes, it takes a very specific way of making decisions when you're putting the product together and, and it is at the core of what everybody does. You know, for instance, if they, if they need, you know, Rhino itself is actually mostly uh, developed on its own public SDKs. Mm. So we, we develop the features on the SDK that everybody else has access to. And so uh, many times, you know, learning to, you know, if this is really hard for a internal developer to do, then, you know, they know that, that, that the proper way to do that is to actually expose more public SDK. So it makes it easier for them to develop, you know, standard Rhino features. Mm -hmm. And that, so in that way, it's actually not super difficult, you know, that it's not as distracting. I can tell you what the advantage is though, 
there's so many plugins, you know, for jewelry and for marine right. and for, you know, civil and, you know, things that we have no idea about. And, and, and right. I mean, we don't you have that expertise. We don't have the bandwidth to keep Well, up and there's either. definitely that. Um, and, and so, you know, so all these people, so, so, and, and, and it does take a lot of time and, and effort to support all those developers, but, but it's well worth it. Mm. You know, I don't think we, I, well, we wouldn't be where we are without having everybody, all the developers participate and selling product and selling plugins on top of Rhino. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, yet again, it's kind of intentional, but an accident at the same time. So, yeah. So, so how early on did you guys identify that a community was a key feature for the success of your platform, your company? Cause it seems to me like, it's like, this is like the core feature. Like you guys, you guys are renowned for your forum. I mean, it's the, the communication that happens on there is like very few other pieces of software, for instance. Getting people involved is really important. You know, that was really important from the day one. But then they were coming into our office and we were talking to them. Right? The doors open. <laughs> doors open, yeah. And, uh, now, I mean, and, and you know, Bob, this is all Bob um, in this case, but, you know, getting getting the, the software out really fast um, and getting it in front of people and finding people that are willing to do it. You know, there's a lot of people that was surprising to us. A lot of people that are just willing to experiment, Yeah. you know, so it's, it's, you know, it's very core. It, part of it, I mean, you could look at it as, as part of it is including people. You can also look at it as, as efficiency. Um, you know, we really try to do what is useful, not necessarily, you know, what is cool mm-hmm. or flashy mm-hmm. and so having people testing it in actual production or in a safe production environment that they have it's really key to actually making sure for instance we don't get distracted on things that are not as useful mm-hmm. and so and that's really hard i mean if you if you sat down and design a piece of software it's very very difficult to not you know get distracted yeah, yeah by imagine. Yeah. You know, I really like uh, VR, you know, and so we're going to put a big VR piece in here and it's, and uh, you know, that's, that's, it's hard to get that right with every decision. In fact, I'd say it's impossible Mm -hmm. because, you know, we can't connect the dots in the future. (laughs) It goes right right. to that same thing. Right. Okay. So we touched on the word grasshopper a couple of times. You want to tell that story about how that came to become a piece of the Rhino family? So, so at that point in time, you know, we had RhinoScript and RhinoScript was, was a, was a, you know, a VB script interface. It was really popular. You know, we kind of saw a lot of architects using it. Um, you know, it had manuals and it had pieces, but it was still, uh, it was still code. You still had to type code. And, you know, I hate to say it, but architects can't spell worth a darn. I, I and know this. So, yes. <laughs> and, and, and I have to tell you, code doesn't like that. So, so we, we, uh, we're trying to think of, of something and David Rutten, you know, grasshopper is a thousand percent David Rutten's mm-hmm. deal and, and his vision. And he's, you know, continues to be the, the, the person that, that really holds that true. Um, you know, he was experimenting with other interfaces and other ideas and other, ways that maybe you could make code more accessible. Mm-hmm. 
and and you know grasshopper was born out of that um people seemed to like it uh you know the interesting part was as good as rhino script was and rhino script's still around but the as good as rhino script was the um you know we would have 35 people in a class and at the end maybe five maybe three could really do rhino script well mm-hmm. at the end of a couple day class um What's interesting is I can do a grasshopper class in a day and out of 35 people, you know, 32 of them get it right. They can use it, you know, maybe in a very basic way, but they can use it. And, and so that, that really hit on a, on a nerve mm-hmm. uh, that, that moved forward. And, and then at just as important is, you know, there was a plugin interface and people could develop on top of it right. and, and all these, these great plugins that, Again, we were no expert in all this stuff, but that was really key to to now piling in so many design tools that you can mix and match. Yeah, there there's like a there there's an aspect of it about creating the code in Grasshopper, and then there's mm-hmm. also an aspect of the the legibility of it, right? Where I think once you kind of understand what the components do and how inputs and outputs work. Now you can actually look at a script and start to, you know, it's like reading architecture. I think a lot of people don't necessarily think about the way people read buildings, but where's the entry? Where do I go? How do I process myself through this space? What is the space for? How is the lighting? And it's it's similar in this kind of thing. I, I'm, I'm trying to draw a connection here in my mind, but but like as you kind of visually survey the code the code of a grasshopper script and you're looking at what the nodes do and what they're plugged into you can start to figure out what it does and i bet that just makes a huge that's a big deal because when you look at lines of code on a screen as a contrasting kind of thing it's like it all looks the same to me right like i could see a lot of people saying that yeah so so i i'm sure that the legibility of it is a plays a huge part in that as well yeah, and we've seen that people put their grasshopper scripts up on the wall. Yeah, you know, and and use that to it's explain the design. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and and that was a surprise for us. And before data trees, by the way, you know, you could actually probably read it and tell, you know, how many structural bays there were, or how many floors there were in the building, or something like that, just based on on if it was well graphically well organized. And you know, we're all designers mm. so we're we're graphic in nature we're mm-hmm. we're you know we we use uh, diagrams and and sketches and and you know this is just one more piece of that i wonder if there's a correlation between like what people's scripts look like versus what their desks look like well <laughs> i'm sure that's the case that's the case some people well, are really organized and they put things into neat little bins and they cluster things and collapse them and absolutely. then there's other people where it's just like a, it's, it's just spaghetti it is the spaghetti. it's just right the yeah. spaghetti yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and again it was super surprising people would do you know a whole stadium in in grasshopper and you know these things would be gigantic yeah and we're looking at it like you're not supposed to be able to do that with right this. right <laughs> but they were happy. So I was, we were good, but, but uh, yeah, you know, and that, that, you know, again, that's, that's part of that pulling us back into architecture, you know, kind of pulling us out of Marine. I mean, we're still in Marine and jewelry and industrial side, but, you know, kind of pulling us back into that, mm-hmm. the architecture scheme. And, and, uh, and that's been, it's been years, you know, this is all a really slow process relative. 
Well, you guys have have basically because of your initial ideas about community involvement and making open tools and enabling people to do this. You you've really enabled a whole generation of tool makers, which I think is super interesting in the 3D and CAD world where it's always been kind of product driven. Like you buy the product, it does a certain thing, right? For for the most part, a lot of them are, are designed around that. Um, mm-hmm. Especially nowadays in the, you know, there's an app for that kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're talking about different pieces of hardware that can do different things like iPads and iPhones and Android devices and stuff where it is very purpose built as far as an app is concerned. Mm-hmm. You guys are still on a completely different trajectory than that. You're actually enabling people via your platform to become tool builders. And I I, I think that there's a really interesting thread there um, because I think, you know, as an architect myself, there is a certain satisfaction that comes from building a tool that lots of people in my firm are going to use over and over and over again so that we don't have to, you know, go out and buy that tool, number one. It does it exactly how we want it, number two. And people can reuse it, and we do gain some efficiency out of it, number three. There's not very many tools out there that you can say that that's, that's something you can do with. Yeah, and 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 I I believe that designers need to have control of their tools. And sometimes that means you know, writing your own. And even if they're just little scripts to assist you. Mm-hmm. And and because every design's different, many times those tools need to be a little different too. And and with modern development, you know, with uh, .NET and and the ability for, you know, programs to garbage collect automatically and and things like that, it's become really accessible. It doesn't take, you know, a computer scientist to to have to do this anymore like it did in the C++ days. And so I think it's really important. Um, I had the dean from the AA one time tell me that it said um, everybody coming out, every student graduating from our school needs to be a programmer too. Wow. And, and, and that was years back. Yeah. That's, that's what the wow was for. It's like, I'm sure that was not, that's not a a current statement. That's an older statement. So it's probably ahead of its time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, um, and it has become so, easy to, mm. to do that. I, I think it's really important to, you know, again, you know, not be locked into a, a application that somehow is predicting what you need. Right. And, and cause nobody knows, right. The design's the design. It's going to emerge out of this process. And so, you know, yeah. how do we, how do we, how do we deal with that? Um, and how do we come to trust it? You know, going back to that same thing is like when I get up every day, I'm going to take this tool and I'm going to solve some design problems. And I have no idea what that design problem is going to be today. Yeah, right. right. It could be on a cityscape or it could be a connector and, a, you know, and something that I'm really, you know, trying to drive. Mm-hmm. Um, so and everything in between. So interesting. So, OK, so you guys are about to release seven, which is, mm-hmm. Rhino Inside is a big part of right up until now. Everybody who's using Rhino Inside is using the whip. Um, yep. And so that that comes with its own set of, of issues. Right. Because like in our firm, um, people who are using Rhino Inside have to constantly update their whip and they don't have admin access <laughs> to their computer. Right. Right. <laughs> so right. it'll be really nice uh, on Wednesday when seven comes out and we can get it into the hands of those people. We don't have to worry so much about constantly updating, but like, right. how did you guys get to Rhino inside? Where did I'll just leave it at that. I know. I mean, it's just, it's funny. It's just funny. I wish we could, I, you know, 
I wish we could say it's 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 predictable, but the the so so one of the things we did with Rhino Seven early on is pulled it apart into pieces, and so we could load it as a DLL inside other applications, mm-hmm. just to see what we Whose could do. Whose idea was that? that? Uh, Steve Bear is one of the main developers. He was experimenting yeah, with you know, idea. hey, could, could yeah, could we do that? And if you look at Rhino now, it's got Rhino Core DLL. I think it's called, and that that's. Oddly enough, the same size as the whole Rhino 6 application. And then we have this little tiny 100K thing um, that's Rhino EXE. Mm. And all, this is weird. Rhino is actually Rhino inside, inside itself. Yeah. <laughs> so, this is an inception. <laughs> that's right. It's a little inception. Yeah, that's right. So it's, 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 it's Rhino calling Rhino inside. And, uh, and that goes back to, to everything that we do and release. You know, we try to use ourselves. Right. So, so, you know, that, that makes it well tested and allows everybody in our firm to be, to be both helping the development tools and the application itself. But, you know, we we're messing around with, okay, now we can load it in different things. You know, what would happen if we loaded in AutoCAD? What happened to load it in, in Adobe Illustrator? Mm-hmm. What would happen? You know, we did this, that, and the other thing. And, and Kike Garcia, who's in Barcelona, he thought, what would happen if we loaded it in Rhino or Revit? And, and so he hooked it up and lo and behold, it runs in Revit. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's fast. It, it's pretty fast. Like you it's, push a button and it's open. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. There's that. There's you know, that. There's that. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and, and we, you know, we, we'll see, you know, as, as we get more sophisticated, it, you know, you know, trying to keep it stable and fast is, is part of the challenge. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and then what we did is we ran around. And showed people, look at we got Rhino inside Revit. Here's a sphere. Yeah. And so we'd show a sphere. Do that in and, Revit. Yeah. <laughs> well, and people would look at you like, okay, but Who I don't cares? need a sphere. <laughs> yeah. <right? laughs> I don't. I don't really need a sphere. And so, so you know, we kind of experimenting, and 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 you know, we didn't have any Revit expertise, uh, and and uh, now we do. Uh, mm-hmm. Son, who does PyRevit. Um, he, he, he's part of our team now and he's been really key. Mm. Um, but the, you know, once we started kind of making levels and floors and walls with Rhino inside mm-hmm. through Grasshopper, then people are like, Oh yeah. You know, that's really interesting. You get the gears turning and then they're like, what else, what else do I want to do with this? Well, and, and, yeah. and, you know, we like to say that, uh, you know, we're going to walk in because people were asking over and over Rhino to Revit. How do I get Rhino to Revit? Mm-hmm. How do I get LOD 200 to LOD 300? Mm-hmm. There's this big break. Mm-hmm. And and file formats, I have to tell you, are a terrible way to communicate between applications mm-hmm. because they make a lot of assumptions based on the standard of the file format about what data and what geometry they're going to take and what geometry they're not going to take. And, and even in the best conditions, there's just, it's just a a very limited way to communicate between two applications. And before it was all we had, Mm -hmm. but now we can communicate in a lot of different ways. And for instance, integrating inside the same memory space as the other application. Mm -hmm. And now you have choice. So, so, you know, maybe, uh, and it can change or the phases of the project move along, you know, what you, what data you bring across and back, 
what geometry you're moving back and forth between the two <laughs> the two parts of the same application mm-hmm. i guess is the two interfaces of the same application is really technically what it is with different mouse navigation by the way yeah i know, I know. <laughs> yeah. well <laughs> i don't know who to blame well, for that well i i know yeah i don't know where so we're going to do about that i get you <laughs> so far nobody's complained about that too much so so we're 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 pretty good but yeah I get left it. brain right brain <laughs> that's right but the two applications are different that way so yep. so maybe that's good um you really know where you are. It, it really now takes you where they're all in the same place. And so you can use Rhino for what Rhino's good for. You can use Revit for what Revit's good for. And and you can actually go back and forth. You can, you know, you can, mm-hmm. I usually like to say that that Rhino is really an LOD 200 design product and an LOD 400 fabrication product. That's really where it lives. Mm-hmm. And Revit is an excellent, you know, uh, BIM tool. It has great drawings. You know, people can do drawings quite quickly in it. And, and so how do we get those integrated? So you can actually move fluidly move from your design model to your, your documentation model to your, Mm. you know, to your fabrication model. And sometimes that means, for instance, taking geometry out of Revit into the Rhino interface and moving on. Or sometimes that means, you know, just you know it, there's a lot so many different things and it's not predictable yeah we, we've been saying that that you know while we're going to answer a bunch of your questions about rhino inside revit we're going to cause about a hundred more questions about mm-hmm. workflow what is the workflow and what is the best and nobody knows yeah you know we're all we're all experimenting yeah and then you throw dynamo into the mix which i hope you guys replace someday but it's it's it just adds more question marks to that equation yeah and currently you know the i think the uh, there's a lot of differences between Dynamo and Grasshopper, for instance, mm-hmm. but but the big one I think is that um, Grasshopper has Rhino mm-hmm. behind it, mm-hmm. so it has really advanced geometry capabilities, yeah. and and that is, you know, so if you have to need something with design and geometry and things like that, um, you know, seems like it's working. Yeah. I, I've ne- we've never had this much excitement about a product, by the way. Right inside Revit is. <laughs> Well, this People has are, been the topic du jour for the last 10 years at Autodesk University, right? Like, it's just interoperability is, I could see the excitement here because you guys have just like taken the bull by the horns and said, you know what, we're going to do it because there's been so many attempts and, and I, I don't want to say failures, but, but it's because it's all process to get yep. to where we are now. Um, it's all process. But, but I think there's probably a lot of relief <laughs> mixed up with that excitement that you guys are the ones doing it. Well, I think it's, I mean, I don't think there's a lot of CAD companies are crazy enough to, mm-hmm. to integrate their CAD application inside another one. I mean, that's just nuts. Yeah. Um, yeah. You guys took an entire platform and made it a plugin, right? Like, that's, right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And, and Rhino's always tried to be a compliment to applications. Never really tried to be kind of like you use just Rhino and nothing else. Yeah. Um, and and so it's 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 really worked well. I, I it's been surprising, um, and it and it's I've learned a lot about Revit, and it's amazing how much I use them. I use both interfaces at the same, you know, kind of like yeah, within the same process, right? You know, and and uh, <laughs> we 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 joke a little bit that that used to be you had the Rhino people in one room and the Revit people in another, right? Because yeah. there's two workflows, right? Now they're actually in the same room now. 
Uh-huh. Actually talking about one at one workflow. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I can't get them to not sit on both sides of the table, right? So there's <laughs> rhino people on the side table. <laughs> anyway. Someday. 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 Yeah. That's right. All right, everybody. We're getting alternate. Yeah. Rhino Revit. Rhino Revit. <laughs> Get to know your neighbor. Musical chairs. Yeah. That's right. That's so right. like you said it a, a little bit earlier, but obviously Rhino Inside is not just about Revit. So what other excitement have you seen and possibility? I mean, there's a lot, right? Yeah. So so we have uh, you know, that we have an experiment in Blender. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have an experiment in Adobe Illustrator. We have an experiment in AutoCAD. Um, a really, really big one is an ARCHICAD. Mm-hmm. So, and it's not actually right now inside. It's a direct connect. It's a, mm-hmm. you know, a communications tool and, and, and they've been doing that has been very good. Uh, yeah. What's interesting now is because you have Rhino inside Revit and then you have a direct connect to ARCHICAD, you can actually sync the two models. Oh my gosh. Right. That's Cause crazy. now they can, the BIM information, not yeah. only geometry, right, but BIM information can pass back and forth real time. It is crazy um you don't have to use ifc to communicate between them if you don't want right you can wire up you can wire up with grasshopper how the information in this application shows up as in this other application. it's like mapping a, a database to it yeah, <laughs> yeah 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 and using grasshopper to do that yeah um and then uh, a tecla there's a te- tecla direct connection which has been you know we've been watching bridges uh reinforced concrete those kinds of things all driven by grasshopper. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so, you know, it's exploded for us. And then the last piece uh, that's interesting is, is we have a, a web application framework that is Rhino inside sitting behind a rest API. So now you can use Rhino, uh, Rhino common commands just by making HTTP requests across the web. And you guys are also doing Rhino Compute, right? That's Compute. Okay, right. that is so that's Compute. compute. So, yeah, so that's Compute amazing. is... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the possibilities have been mind-boggling. Mm. Um, and and it's, you know, we just, we're experimenting. All of this stuff is under development. All this stuff is an experiment. Uh, you know, we're trying to see, you know, what people like and what people find useful, mm-hmm. you know, and continue to push those. And then things that people don't find useful, we'll just, you know, we kind of drop so, okay, so that's a perfect segue, <laughs> if you're willing to go down that, is, like, obviously not every experiment is a hit. What what are some things that you thought maybe had some promise, if you could take us down, like, that, that just didn't go anywhere? Uh, scanning. Scanning to solids is is been a, it's not that it hasn't, I mean, you know, Never say never. Yet. Right. Yeah. You know, we just put the right? asterisk in there. Yeah. Right. Right. But, you know, scanned, scanned points to, to meshes, to nerves, mm. which Rhino 7's got a lot of tools to help with that. Um, but it, it's just, there's so many, um, you know, a lot of times the data sets aren't as clean as anybody would like. And then, you know, you kind of go through this process of trying to clean them up. And that's a lot more effort than anybody would like to do. And so I think that's an area that we pushed a little into and, and we still have some tools for it, but, but I think that's a lot harder process Mm -hmm. in reality than people would like it to be. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, a lot of times people want to save time over their traditional methods, but, but it's still hard. It's harder than they'd like, Mm -hmm. you know? And so that's an area. Um, I mean, most of the stuff that we do dies so quickly when nobody cares. Fail <laughs> fast. That's what. They that's say. right. Fa- well, and that, that's important, right? We're not a big company, so we ha- we do have to fail fast. 
when when we're trying something that isn't useful. Um, so VR continues. You know, I think what's interesting is, and we're not really on the cutting edge a lot. So so you know, we're supporting people that are. So VR and rendering mm-hmm. is, you know, our our rendering tools are, are better in seven, um, but you know, just standard static rendering may not be the. That's the the rendering from the days of old. Yeah, exactly. I <laughs> now mean, it's all you, real time, all the time. Right. And if it's not moving, if your rendering's not moving, it's it's not a rendering anymore. I think it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. You know, it, it for me, it's interesting coming from the architectural and design side of things, in that it forces a, an honesty about the design that is much different than it used to when you would curate a frame and a perspective. Uh, layer it with photoshop and yeah yeah and so now it's like well if you're putting it in the hands of the user and or the the client and letting the client drive around potentially um and they can look wherever they want doesn't mean it all has to be done but you have to be able to have that conversation at any moment to say when they point at something and say what's that right and before it was like no i'm going to pick this very specific view because i'm only modeling what you're going to see and now I think that's very different with VR, with real time. Yeah. And we're seeing, you know, we're hearing stories of people using, you know, the VR tools or Enscape or, mm-hmm. or Twin Motion or whatever it is actually on the screen at the same time, you know, so you got Rhino here right. and, and then you're looking at, you know, it's almost like it's just another viewport. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah. And, and, you know, it's all of a sudden it's like, like everything's got to look like it's on TV. Yeah. <laughs> High production <laughs> right? value. Yeah. For yeah, sure. yeah. 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 You know, yeah. Cars are moving and people are walking around and it's like, yeah, this doesn't really exist, but, right. but uh, yeah, it's very, very interesting time right now for that. And you guys are also kind of plugging into now by putting all this stuff on the web, you're plugging into other services, right? So mm-hmm. there's analysis engines out there. I, mm-hmm. I'm assuming there's like CFD kind of yep. all kinds of stuff that you guys yep. can tap into because of just the way that the APIs are talking to each other and the way you can hook things up nowadays. Yeah, they're all there and they're all real and they're real time, you know, and it's it's crazy. I mean, we can't keep up, but, mm. you know, and it's not us doing it. It's right. other people doing it to Rhino, but um Yeah. You know, it's it's all these uh, ideas of microservices or, you know, Ladybug's a great example and, and the new pollination product they have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the there's a bunch of CFD now. Um, so there's there's an awful lot, you know, pedestrian simulations and mm-hmm. view simulations and all those things, yeah. you know, that you might want to do. Um, you know, hooking it to Power BI, right? Mm-hmm. Nathan's work, right. Nathan Miller's work. So... Yeah, there's a lot, lot to do. I mean, this is, it's exciting because kind of feel like architectural tools kind of stagnated a bit, you know, Revit's been around for a long time and it's not that Revit stagnates, but the, but just the, the, you know, kind of like, and, and the ideas behind Revit aren't necessarily new. Um, You know, it's kind of like stuck Mm -hmm. and, and now, you know, renderings on the run and, and, integrating products together is on the run. I mean, forget the word interoperability. We're going to call it integration now. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and then, and then, you know, the going on the web and, and just all of these things, being able to take even larger models, even though we can still, you know, kill a model, kill a machine with the model. Cause it's too big, but the, it's pretty cool. 
you know, there's a lot going on right now. And I think that's, that's very exciting. Being able to develop your own tools, you know, it's gotten so much easier in the last few years. Yeah. You know, it's time to step back and evaluate what our workflow really is. Mm. Cause there's so many new opportunities. Yeah. It seems like, like you're saying, it, it's super exciting, both on the software side of things, but also on the hardware side of things, because we're seeing stuff like the new Apple M1 chip where it's flying. It's just you're you're, you're going to actually be able to get 12 hours on a laptop on a you know an all day trip and not have to worry about plugging it in while right. really loading the computer with the types of things that we're talking about, like pro users are using. Are you guys excited about hardware developments like you are about what's going on in software? Or you, I mean, I, I can assume that you're way more software biased, but. No, no. I mean, hardware's great, except for uh, M1 is a good example. It's a different chip, yeah. and it's it's, it's hard gonna for, yeah, it's hard. Yeah. It's it's you know we can get it to run, but we can't get it to run well, and we can't get it to run fast, and and you know it's just because it's just a very discontinuous uh, development, mm-hmm. and so in that ways, it's kind of a love hate relationship you know we like the fact that things are getting faster because you know we can only optimize so much right um and the hardware does need to get faster uh but at the same time it's it's really um it's gonna take some time it's a big us. side project all of a sudden yeah oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know so if currently we don't support m1s uh-huh. um you know we've got them in-house and we're working on it but um rhino 6 will never uh, support m1s mm-hmm. and uh, rhino 7 we're working on it mm-hmm. i mean but but it, you know, we have no idea how long it's going to take. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and so, you know, the biggest thing I can tell your listeners is don't buy an M1 if you want to run Rhino right now. Um, not that we don't like M1s. It's just, it's going to take a while. It's not there yet. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I do run Rhino on a Mac right now. And I, I personally love like the trackpad integration that you guys have. It's, mm-hmm. it's so good, right? Like just the ab- ability to pinch and zoom and swipe and do all those things. Um, so, and, and because the trackpad is such a large piece of hardware on a laptop chassis, it's so big, like you can't, avo- you can't avoid using it. It's, it's fantastic. It seems like you guys went through the extra steps to make that a good experience for, for those of us who are probably a, a minority in your user base, but still it, it's fantastic. Yeah, thanks. And, 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 you know, customers pulled us through to get it right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, kept telling it's wrong again, wrong, still wrong. Yeah. You know, and, 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 you know, that, that pushes us to try to do better. But the, um, yeah. And, and, you know, I, I guess the other thing too is, you know, Macs or uh, Apple's still selling Intel Macs. Oh, yeah. For a while. You know, for I a while. I think they said a couple of years to take, to yeah. go through this yeah. transition. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we'd still, you know, we're still recommending the Intel Macs. They're always, we always thought they were good machines, um, yeah. but, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, I am excited about where you guys are headed and I'm really excited about version seven coming out on Wednesday. I mean, I'm sure you guys are too. And, and then oh, yeah. you guys are jumping right into eight, which is amazing. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's, there's a lot yeah. of great stuff on the horizon for McNeil and associates here. Thank you. I, it has been, it's super exciting for us. I mean, it's really fired us up. People awesome. have been there for a long time or just like, running around just excited about what they're working on and just realizing, you know, that kind of feedback we're getting has been unbelievable. And, and so that's, that's been really exciting for everybody. Well, thank you for making a tool that people love using. 
<laughs> you know, you talked Thanks. a minute ago about that stagnation. And honestly, if, if it's a slog to go work in a piece of software every day, that that's probably a big reason why there was that stagnation. So by, by you guys engaging with the community and um, just making something so open and there's so much communication around it. And, you know, I've had Andrew Human on the show and, and Nathan Miller and, you know, people who are obviously huge advocates for what you guys are doing and with the products that they build on a daily basis today still you know grasshopper being direct you know you can translate a script right into hypar and and nate is doing amazing stuff with semantic and pushing rhino geometry into revit you know there's that was conveyor actually but there there's so many great tools that revolve around this kind of ecosystem that you guys have developed it's just it's a, a pleasure to talk to you about it. It's been really fun. Thanks. Thank so you. before we take off, I just want to give mm-hmm. you the opportunity to provide, you know, where can people find out more? Um, how can they get on your newsletter to be updated when the the announcements go out? What's the best way to follow along with what you're doing with Rhino? So anytime you download Rhino, you get, you know, if you'd like, you can give us your email. And and so download Rhino or Rhino Insight or anything. Um, and then you're on that list um, based on kind of what you downloaded so we can give you appropriate information. Um, and then uh, there's, uh, you know, rhino3d.com. You can go to the, you can go there. Uh, your local dealer has Rhino. So if you want to upgrade your Rhino 7 from Rhino 6, local dealers can do that right now. Um, and uh, so, and then there's a Rhino inside Revit. You can just Google it, Rhino inside Revit. There's a Rhino inside Revit website that, has a lot of information about Rhino inside Revit, how to use it and lots of demonstrations and videos and a community page of many, many people that have been experimenting with it, using it and trying to teach others. Um, and I would highly recommend going there. You can download the application. Um, you know, Rhino inside Revit is, is no, it's you buy Rhino seven and you have Revit and that's all you need mm-hmm. uh, or that's all you buy. Right. And then there's a little, plug-in open source plug-in that's just right now inside Revit that you can download. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Scott. It's been a fantastic conversation. I appreciate yeah, your time. Definitely. We should do it again. All right. So talk to you soon. Thank you very much. Bye. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This show is part of the Gable Media Podcast Network. You can see all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A.com. You can help support what I'm doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out, and of course, share it with your friends. I'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at trxl.co slash podcast, where you can find every episode. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube. Just search for E. Troxel. Talk to you soon.